Our second reading is from Revelation chapter 3, so the last book in the Bible. So I'll be reading from chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. It's on page 1288 in this Pew Bible. So to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, that you have what you have received and heard and obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who will overcome, so he who overcomes will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God. Thank you, uh, Keith, for reading God's word to us this morning. And uh, let's, uh, let's come to God in prayer again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, O oh Lord, that you speak to our hearts today, that you help us, Lord, through your spirit to wake up as a church, that you would use us, Lord, in this world, that you would revive us, Lord, and give us the hope and confidence we need in Christ to live our lives in this world. Lord, I humbly come before you, pray that you forgive me my sins, use me for the glory and praise of your name, and to help your people, Lord, with your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, friends, this morning we're going to look at this topic, Wake Up Church. Right, uh, we hear all kinds of things, rise up Australia, rise up this, that, everything else. But what about Wake Up Church? How do we live our lives in this world? How do we connect with people outside of the four walls of this building? Do you think about them? What is God's plan for East Church here at St. Stephen's? Are we asleep? If Jesus was to write a letter to St. Stephen's Presbyterian Church, what would he say of this church? How would he look at this church this morning? How serious are we about the most important things and keeping the important things the main focus in the life of the church? You see, a church can be distracted by lots of things. And Satan will keep us busy. I tell you, friends, he will keep us busy with all the internal things that goes on in the church. And in the meantime... The world is passing by. And people are going through a lost eternity. And when the church keeps focusing on the inside and not looks at what God's plan is, we are in deep trouble. So today we are going to look at this topic. Wake up, church. Because the church belongs to Christ. It does not belong to me. It does not belong to the elders. It does not belong to the board of management or anyone. It belongs to Christ. And we are only here by God's grace to serve Him. Correct? 
he can, I can drop dead from this pulpit and this church will go on. He's not dependent on me or you or any one of us. <laughs> he builds his own church. Wake up. So we have looked at so far at four churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum and Thyatira. And today we will look at the fifth church which is Sardis and John's got some photos he showed me beforehand. We don't have that but you can see him after the service. I said to him, he should have come prepared to preach this morning on this church. He's been there. I haven't. Anyway, doesn't matter. We'll go ahead with it. <laughs> All right. So the church in Sardis. Oh, look, look, I mean, we have looked at uh, these, these churches. So we have Smyrna and Ephesus. So the person who would have carried this letter would have gone through from starting from Ephesus and going through to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and to Sardis. And then we're going to look at the next two letters in time to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. So you can imagine the, the, the messenger that would have carried these letters through from one place to another and Christ writing uh, to the churches. And so about Sardis itself, uh, now John's got more, much better photos than what I have. You can look at that. Right Today the church is in a state of ruins. Uh, it was uh, this church it is said was about 50 kilometers east of, of Thyatira. It was located on the banks of the, what they might call the Pactolus River. The Pactolus uh, is, is a river near the, uh, the Aegean coast of, of Turkey, and the river flows through the city of Sardis. Uh, this particular river became famous because it carried down, carried uh, gold dust down through the river, and it even came through other parts uh, in, in, in the churches as well. And so gold dust was coming through. And uh, what a wonderful thing that is, isn't it? We had a river and collecting all the gold that comes down. Imagine that. And so uh, the, this river became famous because it carried gold dust uh, from uh, Mount Tomalus. And the Lydian kings, uh, who, whose capital Sardis was, directly east of the, of the river, was the first to use the gold dust of this river to make coins. And so it was one of the great and wealthiest cities in Asia Minor, which you know, current Turkey. The city was built on a hill that was so steep that it gave them a sense of false security, thinking that its defenses were impregnable. And because of the inaccessible location where the city was originally built, it was an ideal military fortress. And it is said that Sardis rose straight up about 1,500 feet and had only one narrow winding steep road of entry. And it was an impregnable fortress. And so it was the capital of ancient kingdom of Lydia, which is the western part of Turkey, where this king by the name of Croesus reigned in that place. And according to legend, whatever he touched turned to gold. We, we say that, isn't it? Whatever he or she touches turned to gold. Such people, that we say, are so fortunate. Whatever they touch turned to gold. However, due to their slackness in being alert and watchful, the city was captured by Cyrus the Persian in 549 BC and Alexander the Great and Antiochus. So, even though they were seemingly impregnable, this, this city was captured. And so the city was also captured by the Romans in 189 BC, and then it suffered a terrible earthquake in 17 AD. And due to the devastating earthquake, 
the emperor Tiberius exempted the citizens from paying taxes for five years. I mean, how is that? Eh? Imagine, imagine if you're asked not to pay taxes for five years. We won't be doing our tax returns, right, next month? 30th of June, financial year finishes, no tax returns. The government says, we don't want your taxes. We'll take your money and uh, you put your money into the country. Well, Tiberius did that. And so during these years, the citizens rebuilt Sardis from ruins to its original splendor. And in time, this city became an overly self-confident city. And the spirit of self-confidence also infiltrated this small church here in Sardis. Now, we don't know, friends, about the origin of this church. We don't know who founded it. Uh, there are no names given to us of any indication of who was part of this church. It was probably established during the time when the gospel went through, uh, through the region of Ephesus. Whatever the circumstances of its founding, we know that the Lord in his grace planted this church in Sardis. And this letter is one of the most severe of the seven letters. What does Jesus say to this church and also to us individually and collectively this morning? And we're going to look at this letter under these three headings. Or if it's an outline, you can outline it this way. Uh, we have the reality in verse, verse 1. There is a remedy that Jesus gives. And there is also the remnant so if you are going to give an outline, you can look at it from, from this perspective. The reality, the remedy, and the remnant. Well, let's look at the reality. What, what's going on in this church? Please, if you have your Bibles, uh, open to that passage. Have a look with me. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are Dead. Are you awake with me this morning or still a bit sleepy? You're awake, right? Okay, that's good. No sleep in your church, right? <laughs> awake. You have a reputation of being alive, but actually, you know something? Jesus says, you're actually dead. You're a dead church. <laughs> that's the reality. Yeah, again, it is written, as we have seen with the previous churches, to the angel, that is, or messenger, who is the minister of the church. And Jesus identifies himself differently in each letter. And so here we read the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Here we see a combination of the initial greetings of the book, the seven spirits, chapter 1, verse 4. Seven stars. Well, what are we to make of the seven Spirits, the number seven is, is, is a symbol of completeness in the book of Revelation. And as I've said pre previously, the seven spirits describes the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And it is interesting to see how Jesus puts the emphasis on the Holy Spirit in this church. In Jesus is the fullness of the Spirit. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, there, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from, whose, from his roots shall bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear, and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah was speaking of Jesus. He has the fullness of the Spirit. 
and Jesus now sends the Holy Spirit from the Father upon his church. Have a look at um, John chapter 14 and verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So, friends, Jesus commissions the Holy Spirit to do his work in the church and in the world. For example, the work of the Spirit is seen in bringing about new life. In John chapter 3, with the story of Nicodemus. Uh, remember, um, Doug preached on, on Nicodemus. And it means to be born again of the Spirit, correct? It is the Spirit who does what we call, in theological terms, a work of regeneration. You have to be born again. I remember speaking to a lady many years ago in, in a church, and... Uh, she was a member of, of the congregation, and she said, you know, I have these friends, they are supposed to be born-again Christians. <laughs> born-again Christians, as if implying they are a weird breed of people, these born-again people. Well, friends, a person is born again by the work of the Spirit. The phrase born-again Christian, in my view, is a redundancy. <laughs> It is a redundancy because the reason being that there is no such thing as a non-born-again Christian. Correct? So the term is redundant. That's a very important point. You see, you can sit in a church and not be a born-again Christian. <laughs> you can sit there and go through the motions of churchianity. Have you heard of the phrase churchianity? Well, if you haven't, this is a new phrase I've coined up today. doesn't matter. Churchianity. So, it's about church. It's about the institution. It's about doing things right. It's about having the color of the carpets, Presbyterian blue or something, whatever. It's about churchianity. So, we sit there and we go through the motion. Stand, we sing, sit, stand, read the word. I've been at church. To be a Christian is to be born again. It's a redundant term. And so Jesus addresses this church and he says, I have the seven spirits in my hand. Because what the church needs at Sardis is an injection of the power of the Holy Spirit in its life. You see, the Holy Spirit is the agent to bring new life. Into a dying and desperate church. Bringing about renewal and revival by giving God's people a renewed hunger. We sang that hymn, revive your church, Lord. Give us a hunger for you. A hunger for the word of God. A hunger for righteousness. A hunger to know Jesus and his power and his grace. You know what it means to be hungry? Physically? Do you go and raid the cupboards at home? Some people do that in our place. <laughs> What's in the pantry cupboard? Eh? Boom, 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 boom. It's all gone. We've got to go and restock the cupboard again. We need food. Sunday night, I have a tradition. I'll let you into it. I go home on Sunday nights. You can ask my family. I cook a hot and spicy curry. The rose says, open the windows because the chili is so strong. <laughs> right? If you want to join me on a Sunday night for a curry, please let me know. Come and join us. It's okay. 
Why? Because you got hungry, you want to have food. What about the spiritual hunger for the word of God? And, and, and that doesn't come by ourselves, friends. Jonathan Edwards, one of the great reformed theologians and pastor in his, in his excellent work, the distinguishing marks of the work of the Holy Spirit gives us five things of the work of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit exalts the true Christ. The Holy Spirit opposes Satan's interest, points people to the scriptures, elevates truth, and results in love for God and for others. Five distinguishing marks of the work of the Holy Spirit exalts the true Christ. Opposes Satan's interest. How important is that? Are you mindful that Satan is lurking in the background? As the church continues to, to grow and to strive, that Satan is also working. He doesn't want to see St. Stephen's grow. He'll be lurking in the background to keep us distracted from everything else. Because that's a busy church. Points people to the scriptures, elevates truth, and results in love for God and for others. And so Jesus reminds this church in Sardis that he has the seven spirits who can bring renewal to a dying and desperate church. And this church in Sardis, as we will see in a moment, needed to be renewed. They needed revival. And so Jesus says, I have the seven stars. That is, the ministers of the churches are in his hands. In Revelation 1 verse 6, again we see that mentioned as well. The ministers, the messengers to proclaim his word in the church and in the world. In our recent Bible study just this past week, we were talking about theological liberalism and, and, and what goes on in, in, in our churches today. That there are ministers who do not preach the word. They will stand and give you a story. And I ask you, friends, sometimes, I hear people say, Oh, I went to a service, it was such a nice service. What is nice about their services? Lovey-dovey nice words, keep you all happy. We can do that. I can, I can come here in five minutes and give you a nice little talk, a pep talk about last week, what I did and what I did not do, and make you all feel happy and go from this place. John can do that. Oh, man, that will be so easy. Imagine giving a five-minute talk. We don't have to spend hours writing a sermon. Give you a nice pep talk and you go back at home and say, Oh, that was a very nice service. What was nice about it if the word of God was not preached? What is nice about a service if the gospel is not proclaimed? What is nice about a service if the word of God is not proclaimed in all its splendor and glory by the power of Christ to God's people? Nothing's nice about it. So he writes, he says, I have the ministers. You guys need to know what you're doing. And then Jesus says, I know your works. I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. You see, this church was good with their deeds and Jesus knows them. They had some good deeds going on here. We will see more about how Jesus saw their deeds in a moment. Here again, we note that Jesus is fully aware of the church. But they had a reputation, friends. You have a reputation. What was their reputation? The church at, at, at large knew Sardis as a congregation that enjoyed the reputation of being alive. It had acquired a name. They may have been a wealthy church and therefore portrayed themselves of doing really well spiritually due to their financial status. There was no false doctrine in the church. No Balaam, no Nicolaitans, no Jezebel, nothing. Their reputation, 
great progress, great history of pastors. Oh, so and so is the pastor now, so and so was the pastor before that, and we have, we have this going on in our church. They have great facilities, great leaders, great service, great programs. <laughs> wow. What's wrong with that church? What's wrong with it? What's wrong with St. Stephen's? We have two ministers now. We have elders here in this church. Men who should lead and guide this congregation. It's not about ourselves. It's about God's church. The leaders of our growth groups. Our our youth group. All of these. Lots of activities. We are a busy church, right? How does Jesus look at it? The problem with this church here, in any church, is when its reputation does not line up with the reality of their true state, their relationship with Jesus. You see, their name in Sardis was that they were alive and well, their reputation, but they were far removed from reality. In some sense, they were blinded to their own state. They were resting on their own laurels. The point is that we can look at a church from the outside and sometimes even from the inside, and speak of its reputation merely from its external appearance and its activities and not focus on the true state of the church. Looks can be so deceiving, just like in a marriage. A marriage might look great from the outside. Having the appearance of a loving relationship and a wonderful reputation of a great marriage, the couple is... Outside, or lovey-dovey, how are you, honey, and how are you? But at home, man, you're laughing. I had to deal with situations like this, friends. I've seen it. And I've come home, and it's not in this place, so don't worry. I come home, I said, how can it be? How can it be? What I see on the outside is not what we know on the inside. Looks can be so deceiving. But in reality, it could be a dead relationship in any marriage. It's like keeping up appearances. You know the famous TV show, um, Keeping Up Appearances? Have you seen that? Mrs. Hyacinth Bouquet? I I hope you pronounce it that way. I I love that show. That poor guy, that husband, he didn't know whether it was coming or going, did he? Right? Busy bouquet was, oh, she was all keeping appearances, looking through the window, seeing what's, oh, what's that neighbor has got there. Oh, my goodness, I better have my cutlery out this way. I thought it's one of the great, great comedies. It's great. That's a story there, isn't it? There's a story in that. It's keeping up appearances. But actually, in reality, it was not the best. The church in Sardis was a spiritual graveyard. They had a name, but in reality, dead. I was reflecting upon the question as to what constitutes a dead church. What constitutes a dead church? And I've just come up with a few things. Nominalism. Just attending and being part of a church in name. Doing the church thing. (laughs) Right? Nominalism. Marking the register. We don't mark any registers here, so I'm just saying for yourself. I have been to church. They profess to be Christians, but have really not tasted of the Lord's grace in our lives. Christians by name. Are you one of them this morning? Tradition. 
Now, traditions are good. No one speaks against good traditions. But when traditions become more important than the gospel, of course traditions then become higher than the word of God. That's a problem. Dead orthodoxy. Going through routines. For example, even when we meet together on the Lord's Day, we can sing the hymns and songs and recite the creeds, join in prayers. But what about our hearts? It's a dead orthodoxy. I'm talking about myself included. What about social justice issues? We must be concerned for social justice, surely we must. But do we do that at the expense of the gospel? There's no relationship with the living Jesus. No love for Christ. It's churchy anity. Dangerous place to be in, friends. Very dangerous place. What does Jesus say to this year to remedy? Wake up! Verses 2 to 4. Strengthen what remains for what is that is about to die. For I have found your works complete, not complete, in, in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. And if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know, you will not know at what hour I will come against you. To this dead church, Jesus says, there are four things here. Wake up. That's the Greek word that's been used here. Be watchful. Be alert. Get up. Wakey, wakey, we say, don't we? (laughs) When someone is asleep, wakey, wakey. You know, I can sleep anytime, anywhere. I won't sleep on the pulpit, that's for sure. But I am a gifted sleeper. And I had friends, I shared a house with with some blokes when I was a student. And I slept all the time. And one day, these guys, they actually brought a spray can. And I was fast asleep. I had to go for lectures. Boom, 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 boom. Wakey, wakey. And just put all the water on my face. And not only that, they went a step further as well, so... Wakey, wakey. Jesus says to the church, Wakey, wakey, wake up. Wake up, church. This is Jesus speaking to his church. And what does it mean to wake up? The church needed to be alert to their situation. They need to realize the state that they were in spiritually and be alert to it. First thing is to wake up. Are we alert to the spiritual state of your heart this morning? What is your heart like? What is my heart like? Are we awake to Jesus? In your own life, as a young person, as a teenager, you're sitting here and thinking, what is this to me, Chris, this morning? How am I to wake up? Or you're an older person here this morning. Or you're a person just coming here to church this morning. Jesus says to you, wake up, my child. Be alert to your spiritual state. How is your relationship with me? Jesus says, to us this morning. Strengthen, the Lord says. The call is to strengthen the things that remain which are about to die. The reason they are to strengthen what remains is because the works done by a few faithful members of the church has the potential to die. And the word used here in the original for strengthen uh, in, 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 the, in the early church was to nurture, to nurture believers. The challenge then is to get back to the remaining things which at one time meant a lot to them, their relationship with the Lord and their faithful service to Him. Whatever is left in the church, they are to nurture. For I have found your works not complete in the sight of my God. Their deeds were not fully 
complete. It is because their deeds did not fulfill God's purpose. They were doing things for the sake of doing them. So there is still hope. There is still opportunity. Hold on to the things that remain. And then he says, remember. Remember then, verse 3a, what you have received and heard and keep it. Friends, uh, we forget lots of things, don't we, in life. Jesus says, remember the truth of the gospel you received. Remember what God has done for you in Jesus. Go back to basics. If you are studying maths, studying science, um, some of us have done extra work on science, you know, you always go back to basics, right? In accounting, you go back to basic principles, don't you? Jesus says, go back to the basics. Come back to me. Come back to the basics. Because often we forget the basics. A generation had passed by sins. The first ones received the gospel. And now the challenge is to this new generation here in Sardis. To remember the gospel that was at the center of this church when their parents and forefathers have received it. And so for St. Stephen's friends, the gospel that has been passed on through 125 years in this church must continue on for the next generation and the generations to come. And we have to part that gospel. Remember, because very soon, what's going to happen in Australia is people will not remember the gospel. Repent. Jesus says, repent to this church. A call to, to, to repent in all the letters. He says, and he gives a warning. Look at that warning. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour. This is a straightforward warning, friends. He will come as a thief in the night. Which is a common reference to either immediate judgment or the second coming. I believe that in the present context, it, I don't think it refers to his second coming. But rather it is, his coming in judgment upon the church if they fail to repent, he will discipline them. And his coming will be a surprise. <laughs> Have you noticed how Jesus says he will discipline the church? <laughs> you might say, well, how could a loving Savior do that? Because he loves his church. Just like a father or a mother will discipline their children. It's a hard thing to discipline kids, right? Parents, you know that. I'm, I've always been a, on the other side of being soft in some ways. I discipline and then I think, ah, have I gone the wrong, I've gone too far. But if you love your children, you'll discipline them. And Jesus says, I will discipline you in judgment. What a warning. And so wake up. Four things. Wake up, strengthen, remember, Repent to a dying church. What a warning. Then the remnant. The last few verses here as we wind up in, in, in verses 4 to 6. There's a remnant in verse 4. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out. Of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father. And before his angels. And you as a year let him hear what the spirit says. To the churches. So there is hope to the spiritually dead church. There is a remnant. A few in the church. And these remnant. These were a few persons in the church of Sardis. Who remained faithful to Jesus. And Jesus knew them. 
they had not soiled their garments. That is, they had not stained or polluted their garments. It's like uh, if you're doing your gardening, or you've uh, you've been working on a car or whatever it is, and you're, and you're all tired and your garments are all dirty, right? You go and put that in the washing, right? You put your stained clothes there because you want to bring it nice and clean afterwards. If you've got a white shirt, I know in Sri Lanka we, we use the thing called blue. I don't know whether you used it, the blue powder. Anyone? Ah, you can remember that. <laughs> Never used it since. <laughs> I put the white shirt in a, my parents actually, my, my, all my white, because we had to wear white in Sri Lanka as students in, 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 in uh, colleges and so forth. White in the blue uh, thing and you take it out after a while and makes it all nice and apparently white. Had a blue tinge in it. So. So take away all the, the soil, take away all the rubbish, the dirt, and to make it look nice and white, make your garments look nice. And Jesus says, they have not soiled their garments. That is, they haven't stained or polluted their garments. And they will walk with me in white. White, a symbol of purity. And this whiteness is not coming because of who they are, because of their great garments that they wear. The whiteness here, the purity is coming because of their faith in Jesus. You see, the church, dear friends, stands holy in Christ already. Correct? If you are a Christian, you are already sanctified. That is, you are made holy already. Now, sanctification, that is, living the holy life is a different thing. But the point is that my sin has been taken away. All the dirty stains has been washed in the blood of Christ. And it has been made white. And God looks at me in the purity of His Son. And so what a great encouragement it is to God's people, to you and to me, who we struggle with our sin, as we battle with our own lives, as we humble ourselves before Him. The whiteness, the purity of Christ shines in God's people because we are in Jesus. They will walk with me in white, clothed with righteousness that is mine. They will walk with Jesus in white. Represents holiness. And now even when the church does not act in a holy manner, the people of God are still regarded as holy because God has declared us holy in His Son. We are His. And living holy lives as a corporate body is not what makes us holy in God's eyes because that is legalism although it confirms our profession of faith in Jesus to the world. The church is holy because it is in Christ. The church is not holy because you are living a holy life, right? Because you are striving to be right with God. The church is holy already in Christ. And we live a holy life in response to that holiness we have in Jesus. That's an important thing. And so through faith and repentance, we seek to live that life. So these remnant inside is walk with Jesus in white. They are worthy. And notice, friends, I will not, never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his, 
angels. I will not blot out his name. The Bible tells us that God has a book, a symbol, as, as it were, we would say. But behind this symbol is a serious truth and message to all. And that is that Jesus assures the faithful in Sardis, and to all, in fact, who know and trust in Jesus as their Savior, the Lord gives this assurance that their names would never be erased in the book of life. Let me explain it very quickly. In the Jewish system, if you look at the Old Testament and right through in Deuteronomy and so forth, there was a book that was there. And all the Jewish citizens had their names on this book. Right? They were registered. Just as much as if you're going to vote this year for the elections, if your name is not on the electoral roll, you'll be in trouble, right? You can't cast a vote. It's obvious. So your, your name is registered there. And in the Old Testament, the Israelites, their names are registered on the book. But now that concept is transferred. And God, and Jesus says, God has got the book of life. And the book has got the names of God's people. And he will never erase the name out. When we die, friends, our names are erased one by one from the book. Victoria, if you have a license, name is cut off. If you have a bank account, your name is cut off. Your name is registered in the register of debts. Boom. It's there. All other names, bang, 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 it's being cut off because you're no longer a living being. But God's book has your name, Jesus says, and I will never blot it out. How wonderful is that? Is your name in his book? It's one thing to have your name on the church's role. We have a communicant role here at St. Stephen's, and our good session clerk will always keep us informed how the names are, how many are on the role. And I ask sometimes, we have people on the role who are not here. Where are they? People make a profession of faith in Christ, and sometimes we don't see them. Who are we fooling? And you know, the other thing is, oh my goodness, they're not here at church, and you can't take the name of the role of the role because if you take the name of the role, so and so will become so angry, and other people will become angry, and they'll leave the church. Oh my goodness, so you keep the name. For the namesakes, namesakes, we keep it. Because we're so scared, everyone's going to leave the church. Friends, people have freedom. You don't, you don't sign into an army when you join here, right? We don't put you under martial law. Anyone's got freedom to be here or not to be here. It's part of our freedom that we have in Christ. And that's what it is. It's not martial law. The most important name to have registered is in the book of life. That's the name that will count. Because when we get to heaven, imagine, is the Lord going to say, now, of course, you've got to be in church membership. That's a biblical thing. God says that in his word. It's a biblical thing. But what is most important is not that you were on the Presbyterian church and Stephen's role, and if you missed your name in the book of life. What will get you to heaven? I was on the role of St. Stephen's. What a reputation that church had, Jesus. Don't you remember St. Stephen's on the corner of Canterbury and Warrigal Road? The church that was so active, it did so many things. It was such an active, dynamic place. I was part of that. Surely I should be in heaven. Uh-huh. Really? I didn't know you. How serious is this? I want to ask you, friends, this morning, how serious are you and myself about our faith in Jesus? 
is our name on the book of life. If you're not, today is the day to come to Jesus. Say, Lord, please, let my name be on your book. John Stott writes this in his book, What Christ Says to the Churches. One day the books will be opened and the dead will be judged by what is written in the books. And everyone whose name, everyone whose name is not found written in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. What a warning, what a comfort. Jesus will not forget you, friends. Isaiah has a beautiful picture there. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, and I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. You know what a sad story this past week? Did you watch the news? A mother who tried to run down a seven-year-old son. Did you see that? She took a car a few times, knocked the boy over and was going to run over her own child. I thought, how is that possible? God's word says, can a woman forget her nursing child? It does happen. But I will not forget you. Whoever acknowledges me, I will confess. I will confess uh, before the Father. All right? Now, friends... $20 for the minister's coffee on that one, for that phone that went off this morning. No, no, it's okay. The point is, Jesus says, I will not, I will, I will confess his name before my father. Luke chapter 12, Matthew chapter 10. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my father in heaven. Now that doesn't mean that there are sometimes when we meet with non-Christians and so forth, we may not acknowledge Jesus because of certain circumstances. That's not what the text is talking. The text is talking about a determined effort to not proclaim you as a Christian. So this morning, as we wind up, the call to the church is to wake up, is to strengthen, is to remember, is to repent, And Jesus says, don't go on your reputation, but come to me. Be alert of your situation. Because when I look at the church, I look at it totally different, Jesus says, from the way you look at it. Are you alive to Jesus this morning? I'm going to throw that challenge to you individually, friends. How serious are you about Jesus this morning in your life? Remember, if you trust him, your name will be in his book, the book of life, for all eternity. And nothing will blot that name out. What a blessing, yeah? Amen to that. Is that right? We say, Amen. Amen to it. Alright, the church says, Amen. Amen. Very good. Alright, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your precious and wonderful people here this morning. Lord, we don't stand on our own reputation, for we have none but Christ and he is all to us. Lord, we pray that this church here at St. Stephen's will be a church that is known for its passion for Christ, a church that is known for its hunger for the word of God, a church that is known for its love for Christ and for people. 
O Lord, do with us as you would please. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to close.